Welcome to church. Great to have you along uh, tonight. Why don't you open your Bibles? We're going to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 13. So now faith, hope and love abide. These three, but the greatest of these is love. We've been looking at faith, hope and love this month of December. And uh, we're going to do hope uh, today, which sticks in the middle. And I think we talk a lot about faith and a lot about love. Not really a lot about hope. It's kind of like the middle child of the family. I heard someone say, everyone forgets about them a little bit. Anyone, anyone a middle child here? Do you feel hard done by, forgotten? You can relate to hope, can't you? <laughs> you can relate, that, that sort of awkward middle cousin or something. But, um, you know, the Bible says we should abide in these things. They are eternal. They last. We build our life on them. Our life will have fruit that lasts. We want fruit that lasts in our life. We want our lives to have significance. But it's actually when all three of these things work together in our life that we, we get the fullness of them and we get the real fruit of, of what uh, God wants for us. But I think hope is quite different to the other two, actually. We talk about faith as being, you know, uh, trusting in God, taking risks, enlarging, dreaming of the future. And really, you know, uh, stepping out in faith is, is like taking new chances in life and, and believing that God's going to come through for you, which is brilliant. We talked a little bit about that, that last week. And we know love is so important that as we have, you know, loving relationships, we feel the love of God in our own life. It fills our own insecurities. It makes us full in our life. We can, there's, there's a, just a, a joy that comes with that. It's so important. But hope is, is absolutely and utterly foundational. Uh, I, I almost think before all these things, and, I, and I'll tell you why. And I think the world recognizes this because uh, I've seen some slogans on, is it Twitter? I think, yeah. I think it's Twitter that I've seen it on. But uh, I never go on Twitter, so I don't know how I've seen that on this. <laughs> but but uh, there's, uh, there is always hope, I've seen. In response to some suicide campaigns uh, that were going around and, and uh, there was a charity working against suicide obviously and they're using the slogan there is always hope and and hope is actually a concept that that is really champions in in our world Christian or not Christian that we recognize the need for it even around King's Cross uh, some people have gone to the 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 efforts of putting some great graffiti around King's Cross I think this is Kentish Town actually anyone recognize that spot another one this is in Kentish Town, definitely a bridge. This is at York Way, just up the road from here, Hope. And another one at St Pancras. Maybe they need some hope because there's some police in front of that picture as well. <laughs> but I love this, you know, almost any other graffiti you'll see people trying to get rid of, like, you know, a male appendage or something else on, on a wall. <laughs> but, uh, but Hope, we're like, yeah, you, can, you can graffiti Hope as much as you want. You can put that on things, on bridges. We'll keep that. The council doesn't get rid of that, which is interesting. I've got no idea who put these up there. I'm sure there's a great story behind it. But we recognize the need for hope. And, uh, and it's important, definitely. But hope is not just a wish or a desire for something. It's something far deeper and far more important than that. It's not just a, you know, we, we use hope as a replacement for the word wish. You know, I, I hope I'll get a pay rise or I'll hope I get those jeans for Christmas or I, I hope I get a dog or something. That's, that's really wishing, desiring. But hope is, is far more deep-seated, deeply rooted in our soul. And uh, this is the kind of hope we're referring to. Uh, the Bible says that hope is a joyful and a confident expectation. And that joyful and confident expectation is rooted in our salvation. Now, this means that the kind of hope we're talking about is utterly different to the kind of hope the world talks about. The world's hope is, is just not good enough. It will always come to an end. And this is not a message um, 
against atheism, although it kind of is because we're Christians and we're in a church, so I suppose it sort of is. But <laughs> atheism, in, in its nth degree, uh, produces hopelessness. Because if you fully embrace the atheistic thought, you fully say there is no God, there is no eternity, there is no life after death, you think that this is all there is in this life, it really produces one of two reactions. Uh, one is, is hedonism, living completely in the moment for, for pleasure uh, and for feeling right now. Or really hopelessness that leads to, to, to suicide. And when I was a young pastor, I um, was working in, in a church in Brisbane, Australia, and I was walking through an auditorium one day. As part of my job was to sort of look after the maintenance of the building and, and manage that whole side of things. And, and I was walking through, and a lady who worked on staff at our church was, was showing someone through the auditorium who, um, whose son had passed away through, through suicide. And they didn't have a pastor to run their service, and she just looked across at me and saw I was a young guy as well, and her son was about my age, about 25, 26 when it happened, and um, 24, sorry. And she looked at me and she went, oh, is that guy a pastor? Can he do the funeral? And, and so they asked me to do this funeral, and it was, which was my first funeral that I'd ever done, and 500 people arrived for this young man's funeral. It was huge um, because it was such an impacting thing that this young man had taken his life. And he was so popular and had everything going. He was a, he was a good-looking guy. He, he was fit, he had a great girlfriend, he would have been the envy of all the lads, he had a good job, really well paid. People just thought he, he had everything going for him and yet he felt such a sense of hopelessness that he took his own life. And this service was so interesting and, and impacted me so much and, and I remember it uh, really hit me that here's a young man that looked at his life and went, well, this is all there is. And it's not good enough. And he had no hope. And so he embraced and kind of went, well, I'm going to die one day. I may as well die now. And so he took his life. And that really is one of the two options of the end of, of atheism, really, to, to not believe there's anything more than this. But we, we have a, a hope that heals that and wins over it every time. Because we have a hope that is rooted in salvation. Not just salvation now, like, like Jesus saves us and changes us internally and, and makes us content and whole and loved, but also at the end of all things, we have an eternal hope, that we will have an eternity, a life beyond this life. That means it's an everlasting hope, a steadfast hope, a hope that can never be shaken. And because we have that, we can overcome every single struggle that, that can possibly come against us yeah. in this world, because our hope is in Jesus Christ. And that is a hope that this world can never provide. And uh, 1 Timothy uh, talks about this, and Paul writes to a young man called Timothy in this whole book. And we're going to look at a couple of, of ideas of this. And he says what to do with, with hope. Because we all have some sort of a hope, we just have to learn how to apply it in the right way. And he says this to Timothy. For to this end we toil and strive, because we have our hope set on the living God who is the saviour of all people, especially of those who believe. And we see in this book in Timothy, these few words, our hope is set or set our hope. We see it four or five times in this book. We see it uh, in the book of Ephesians, I think, in the book of Galatians, I think. We see it in the Old Testament, in Jeremiah, Isaiah, in Psalms. We see the same few words, the same statement saying that we set our hope. What is, what is that? It sounds like concrete, like we set concrete. But, but it's kind of like that idea. Our hope 
get set on something. It gets firmly fixed. It gets uh, settled and set, kind of like concrete. When you pour concrete, it's wet, it's mushy, you can move it around, you can do all sorts of stuff with it. And then if you leave it for a period of time, it sets, and then you, you, don't, you can't move that thing unless you get a jackhammer to it. And that's a painful, long process. And it's the same thing with our hope. If we're not careful that we're not setting it on the right things, it can be very hard to move it, actually. And thankfully, we have Jesus that can help us move our hope onto the right things and puts it on the right things. And he's like the jackhammer, I think. Maybe that's the Holy Spirit. I don't know. But uh, when we uh, were a young married couple, we uh, had the great opportunity that you often get uh, in, in a suburban culture that we grew up in to uh, build our own house. And so we bought a, a block of land and were able to, and we were able to build a house. And, and before you, you pour the foundations of a house, um, you have to get a soil test done to test whether the land you own is kind of good or bad, basically. And we got this soil test done. It came back quite negative, saying it's highly reactive soil. And we went, what, what on earth is highly reactive soil? If you're a geologist, I'm sure you know what that is. Basically, it means that if they pour a flat slab on top of it, it's just going to break and shift over time. It's just not good because it was full of clay. And if it rained, it would, it would, it would swell and, and change and all this sort of stuff. And so they advised us and they said, you know, you're going to have to spend a lot more money and drill these sort of pillars down into the ground. Uh, and they drill these sort of big holes down right into the clay and they, they pour uh, cement kind of stumps, I suppose, down to the ground. I, there's a word for them. I'm sure someone here knows. Uh, and then they, they put the slab on top of that so that basically if the ground around it shifts, the slab won't. And uh, we had a bit of bad luck with our slab where they, they drill these holes and pour this stuff down and lay the slab. And our house was meant to be like built on top of that thing like in a couple of days because the cement only takes a few days to set. And, but unfortunately for us, it rained. And so they couldn't. And then, of course, it was Christmas time. So all the workers were going to go on holidays. And then they didn't get started for another couple of weeks after that. So our foundations of our house ended up sitting there for almost, I think it was almost two months, just doing nothing. And we were really down about it. We were like, oh, we wanted to move into our house soon. We wanted, you know, this is a really exciting time. And I come from a long line of builders. And I remember talking to my grandfather about it. And he said, Randall, what are you, what are you sad about? I was like, oh, I want to get into my house. And, and he said, this is the best thing that could have ever happened. And I couldn't understand what he was talking about. He said, the best thing for your foundations to do is just to sit there with nothing on it for ages. Because it'll just settle. And once it's settled and set, it can never be moved. And your house can be built on top of that, and it will have the most sure and most solid foundations that it could possibly have. But if you build on that thing straight away, it's not as reliable as it could be otherwise. And this is exactly what hope is like. They're like our foundations. And if we don't get our foundations right, our, that the life we build on, on the hope that we have can easily be shaken. And I looked at this because I work for a company in London called British Land, and they're one of the big developers uh, building office blocks all over London. And one of the, the buildings they built recently, the last few years, was the Leadenhall Building, which is also known as the Cheese Grater, which many of you might have heard of. And uh, when, when they built this thing, they, they have to... And we, we see these amazing big skyscrapers, and you think, wow, that's, that's an incredible building. Like, it would have cost a lot of money to build that thing. But, but you don't realize what kind of goes on underneath the ground before that the kind of excavations that have to happen, how deep they have to go, and the foundational work they have to pour into that thing to make sure they can build like an 80-story building on top of it. And this can be like us with, with life. Some, I, I kind of look at faith, hope, and love a bit like this. Faith, I think, is like the building. 
It's like we look at the skyscrapers of London, we think, cool buildings, like they're all different shapes. It's like really awesome. And they would have cost a lot of money. It's a bit wow. And that's what kind of what faith is. It's like it's the external outworkings in our life. It's the, you know, our life is the summation of the, the risks we take, the things we do, the outworkings of our life, and the, the, the things we believe God for. The, the outward shell is kind of built a, a lot of the time through faith. Love is, is, is the one that builds it. That's Jesus. We're going to talk about that next week. But hope is the foundation. And it's the foundation that comes before faith. And if your hope is not set on the right things, your hope is not set firmly and strongly, that building, the life you build, will come crashing down when things happen. And I remember uh, looking at the Leadenhall building. I had to study it briefly in my degree, actually. And when they dug down in the city of London to, to build this building, they affected the foundations of all the other buildings around it. Because there's pressure that is all spread evenly throughout the whole city, right? And so when they re remove a building from on top of the land, they have to be careful that all the buildings around it don't just come crashing down on top because the pressure gets removed. And so when they built uh, the Leadenhall, they had to remove a building that was already there and figure out how much pressure was going down on the foundations that were already there and create counterweights to all the other buildings to mimic the pressure that was already there whilst they removed the building that was in the middle of it all. And then as they dug the foundations, they had to keep shifting all the counterbalances to keep all the other buildings' foundations set. And then as they built the Leadenhall building up, they had to shift the counterbalances to keep going, to keep a constant pressure throughout the whole thing. Because the moment one of those buildings' foundations would have you know, a structural failure, I mean, thousands of people can be affected. A whole building can come crashing down. It's a big deal. That's how important our foundations are. It's the same thing with the hope that we have. Our hope is that important. Our hope is foundational to our faith. And in London, I think we can set our hope, like cement, on many, many things. And I remember when I first moved to London, I was looking in a train station. I've told this story before. I was on a tube, rather. And I looked down. It was a bit quiet. I think I was on the district line. And, uh, and I saw a few people sort of seated, seated down on the seats. And they were reading books, which is a great thing to do on a tube. Nowadays, you see people on Netflix mainly that they've downloaded on their phone. But they were reading books. And I was sort of looking at the front covers of the books. And I love doing this. And uh, one book said, you know, the 10-hour body. Like how to get, basically how to get a six pack in 10 hours kind of thing, which man, if you could get a six pack in 10 hours, I would be there. <laughs> and another book down the, down the line was uh, how to be Parisian wherever you are. I thought, move to Paris, then you can be <laughs> Parisian. It's like across the channel. Uh, another one was uh, how, to, how, to live, how to live more by doing less or something, which doesn't really make sense. But, but there are all these kind of self-help books that was on this train, which was interesting. Must be something about the district line. They just want to improve their lives, you know. <laughs> <laughs> it uh, must be. And uh, I remember it really hit me just sort of looking at this, kind of going, wow, I think these are different people chasing different things. And it made me think about what we actually set our hope on in London. And I think that first one is one thing that we can very easily set our hope on. And the verse we just looked at where Paul says, we set our hope on the living God, is actually written in response to a verse that comes one or two verses before that, which when he says to Timothy, a young man, he says, bodily training, physical training is of some value, but godliness is of value in every way. And he says, therefore, we set our hope on the living God. Basically, he's saying, you know, physical exercise, health, 
is great. It's got it's got some some value for our life. It's not saying it's it's worthless. Everyone knows it's got value in your life. That's why we chase it. Uh, but it's not as valuable as godliness. Therefore, we need to set our hope on the living God. So I think one of the things that we very easily set our hope on in London is is our health and our fitness and our bodies. And we have a bit of obsession with bodies. We look at advertisements. We talk about this. There's you know, almost an, an, an idolization of, of the human body. Uh, and clothing is so important here, what you wear and what you don't wear, and you know, what's cool and what's not cool, depending on what area you live in, and all sorts of things. Uh, but who knows that eventually for all of us, our health will disappear one day. One day, we will grow old, and we will probably develop certain things. I mean, both my parents have glasses. Probably one day I'm going to have glasses. Uh, maybe not. You never know. But uh, I remember Shelley and I were talking about this once, and there was a, a shopping center we used to live nearby, uh, and she used to go walking, and I think she um, walked through it to buy groceries, and she ran into a, a lady once, and I think she said something like, uh, like, oh, sorry, sorry. They ran into each other or something, and she said, oh, at least I've, oh, good, oh, good, love it. At least I've got my health or something, something along those lines. The inference is like, you don't always have it, but it's a blessing that I've got my health. And it was interesting because one of the, the key ailments that, that attacks old people when, when they get older is, is arthritis, where it, it attacks your, your joints and you become stiff and, and it's quite hard to, to live and move and, and it can get people really down. And, I, and I've met plenty of old people, older people, that, uh, that really affects their spirit, not just their body, but, but, but their spirit. They get down because they've had their health, their whole life, and now it's breaking down and, and, and losing it. And, and that would be a, a hard struggle, no doubt about it, an absolutely hard struggle. But Shelley and I were talking about this because she got diagnosed with arthritis when she was 16, and she was talking about it in relation to some of the older people she knew. And she was always inspired by the older people that didn't let that stop them, that had a hope that was different to their health. And she kind of was talking about how, how she's able to overcome that constantly because she has a hope in Jesus. And she doesn't need to hope in her health. She's kind of already lost it anyway. And I can hope in Jesus. And because of that, she can live a great and normal life and overcome all those things and, and live a life that serves God and lives a bigger purpose than just getting caught up in something like that. And so we find that, that setting our hope on something like our body and our health will always disappoint eventually. Something might give way. Something might happen that will eventually run out. And if we set our hope on that, if anything happens to us, we'll be utterly disappointed and broken in life. That's the foundation that, that gets shaky. But if we set our hope on God, no matter what happens to us, we'll never be shaken. Another thing that, Tim, that Paul writes to Timothy about in chapter 5, verse 5, he says this to, to widows. and He's saying, She who is truly a widow, left all alone, has set her hope on God, and continues in supplications and prayers night and day. But she who is self-indulgent is dead even while she lives. I mean, I, I don't envy Paul in this moment. He's speaking to widows. I, I, I mean, it's a bit of a harsh word to say to widows, personally. If I said that to widows, uh, unless you're praying day and night, you're self-indulgent and you're dead even while you live. Can you imagine how that would be received? <laughs> probably not very favorably. <laughs> My wife would probably be like, you can't say that to people. But uh, here Paul is saying it and saying, what he's talking about is they're setting their hope on the wrong things. They're saying... These people who are left all alone, which he's not, he's not by any stretch saying that's not hard to say. You're now without family. You're now without any kind of 
uh, sense of belonging in your life. That's a hard thing. As many people in London have felt at different times, whether they've lost a loved one or just have moved here by themselves. But he's saying it's not good enough to set your hope on that. It's not good enough to say, uh, I, I can't be alone. I'm setting my hope on other people. That family would fill that gap in my life. That maybe a husband or a wife would fill that gap in my life one day. Maybe it's having children will fill that gap in my life one day. Basically, if we crave constantly after those things, we're setting our hope on them. Saying, when I get that, my life's going to be okay. And that's what these widows were doing. And so Paul says, no, that, that's never going to satisfy. I heard someone say this morning at a service I was at this morning, uh, they were briefly speaking on a similar topic. And they said, um, uh, if we set our hope on, on relationships, if we live long enough, they will all disappoint. That's a bit of a morbid kind of point of view. <laughs> but if we live long enough, we'll, we'll be alone. Unless we you know, create other relationships as well. But, but, but we'll be sad. We will lose loved ones in, in our lives because we all have an end date. We all have a, a time to go. But if we set our hope on the living God, on a life beyond this world, we can experience that sadness, approach it with love, feel the loss that that is, but not be shaken so that we sit down in life and we have nothing and no future anymore. Yeah. And that's what these people were doing. They're saying, I can't move forward in my life until I get that husband back. I can't move forward in life until I get a child. I can't move forward in life until I get those friends. But Jesus is saying, no. I can fill that gap. Set your hope on me. Your life always has a hope, always has a future. In fact, it has an eternal hope, an eternal future that's way better than any of that sort of stuff anyway. The last one that Paul talks to Timothy about is in chapter 6, verse 17. He talks to wealthy people. He says, As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but to set their hopes on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. He's not saying it's bad to be rich or bad to be wealthy at all. He's saying, if you're rich, if you're wealthy, do not set your hope on your wealth because it's fleeting. It could be here one day and gone the next. I mean, we're facing a thing in Britain at the moment. I think on Tuesday, they're doing a, a vote for Brexit in Parliament. Who knows what's going to happen? <laughs> Every day in the newspapers, it's completely different. I know talking uh, about business uh, prospects and the future and all these different companies are, are looking and surveying each other going, what, what are your, what's your outlook for Brexit? And the key statement that keeps coming out, as we all know, is, oh, it's uncertain. <laughs> it's just uncertain. And this verse relates to us very well right now. Yeah. Ultimately, it's totally uncertain, our future. We don't know whether it will be a good Brexit or a bad Brexit. We don't know if a bad Brexit will end up a good Brexit. We don't know if a good Brexit even exists. We don't know anything about... We don't even know if it will get through. <laughs> like, maybe we won't leave. Who knows? It's uncertain. And absolutely. And in, in whatever outcome that comes from this, it's even an uncertain outcome. An uncertain outcome. Yeah. Riches, the economy, how it will affect us, is completely uncertain, no matter how much we have. We're blessed to have lived in a time with no wars in our country. Uh, but of years gone by, that wasn't the case. And in those sorts of times, it's, it's huge economic turmoil. Rich become poor, poor become rich. The whole world of society seems to be turned upside down. We've lived in a, in a relatively stable time in history. But who knows what the future holds? And he says, these things are uncertain. We are tempted to place our hope in them. That if I get this amount of money, 
if I'm going to earn this much, if I'm relying on what's in my bank account, then it will be certain. This is part of the reason why we believe in tithing. It is saying, God, no matter what season I'm in, I'm going to give 10% of my tithe or my money to you so that I am placing my hope in you. When I place my hope in you, I can be certain that you are going to be with me no matter what happens, rich or poor. You will pull through for me. You will fight for me. These things, Paul says, we should not set our hope on, but we should set our hope on the living God. He talks about health. He talks about family. He talks about money. I think these things are very relevant for Londoners, personally. They're things that I've struggled with in my life at different times. Um, But we know what we're setting our hope on by a few key questions. I think we know what we're setting our hope on when, when we ask ourselves that question is, what do I say at the end of, you know, when I have dirt, 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 it's going to be all right. <laughs> Has anyone ever said that? When I have that job, when I have that outcome in life, when I have this happen, life's going to be good. Mm-hmm. Ever said that? That's what we're setting our hope on, basically. Right. And that's a hard-hitting statement because there's always going to be something we're thinking of <laughs> in relation to that. Uh, I think the other things we set our hope on are the things that we're anxious about, the things that keep us up at night, the things that we are expecting blessing from. These are the things the Bible says we should seek God for and acknowledge Him as the giver of all the good things. The Bible calls uh, those things that are not God that fill that place idols. Idols. Things we put above God that we essentially worship above Him. They're misplaced loves, misplaced hopes. They're things we're hoping to rather than God. And ultimately, they don't satisfy. They always reach an end. 1 Timothy 1.1, once again, he says this, Jesus Christ, our hope. Jesus Christ, our expectation. Jesus is meant to fill that gap. He's meant to be first. Absolutely first. One thing we were talking about uh, a couple of weeks ago is there's often a tension for women uh, when they have children uh, to, to balance a career and family. This is a, a very real tension. And we've seen years gone by where uh, families taken precedence and other times where careers taken precedence and, and a huge tension between those two depending on, on what, what you want in family life. And we're seeing that tension come more and more into men's worlds as well. The, the stats are shifting more towards that. There's more dads wanting to be stay-at-home dads and trying to balance the pressures of career and what that looks like with family and, and all different things. And I remember talking to Shelley about this a couple of weeks ago going, I think I've, I think I've figured out the issue. <laughs> Figured it out. Solved the world's problems with this statement. <laughs> the feminism will, will know what to do from now on. <laughs> Not true. But, uh, but I think what happens is when we, we feel that tension, we're kind of going, well, I don't want to give up my career for this, or I don't want to give up my family for this, but I kind of want both. Essentially, we're kind of setting our hope on one or the other. We're never going to be content unless we put God above all of them. doesn't mean they're not good things to chase, but God has to become above all of them And when God's above all of them and He fills that place in our life, we can approach different seasons with contentment, with grace, with peace for the future. I know when we did that, uh, we placed God up there. Miraculously, God provided certain jobs for Shelley that meant her career kind of moved forward, but she worked part-time. I mean, miraculous kind of things that don't usually happen when careers go on hold. But only when we place God as the hope above all those things could that start to unravel and start to unfold for our life. And I love seeing that outwork uh, as we we go through everyday life. But our hope in Jesus Christ is about our salvation. And I mentioned it right at the beginning, but ultimately when we hope in Jesus, we hope in an eternal salvation. 
that has implications for eternity, but also for here. And we live in this tension, basically, where we experience God's goodness and God's blessing here and now, but not fully. The fullness of it will come. And because we believe in that endlessly, we have a hope that lasts us through absolutely every season. We can deal with suffering because Christ suffered. We can deal with suffering because one day there'll be no tears. Only laughter, only joy, only dancing, which is great because I can't dance. And I'll learn how in heaven. And I'll be the best of them all, I'm sure. But I, I think a, a great concept of what hope is, is this. We're at Christmas time, and I love Christmas time. And there's that song that goes around, you hear it in every shopping center. It's the most wonderful time of the year. You know that song. And it is. There's something about Christmas. There's, it's one day of the year. One day. One day. And we spend like some 25, some 40, some 60 days leading up to it. <laughs> we spend, and but somehow that one day can color the rest of that season. Now, as children, that one day is like, it's the perfect day. I remember. It's like you get presents, you get the best food, you get to wear nice new clothes, you get to be with family and your cousins and friends and all sorts of things. When we kind of grow up and, and Christmas is colored with relationship difficulties and all sorts of and financial pressures, it kind of gets a bit discolored sometimes. But if we move beyond that and imagine or picture or remember when it was like as a kid and it's pure, unadulterated goodness <laughs> and the, the lead up and the joy leading up to Christmas and you just want to play those Christmas carols. There's a sense of joy everywhere. There's lights playing, you know, lights playing. There's lights outside. <laughs> There's presents everywhere. There's a sense of expectation. That expectation, that hope, colors the month beforehand and makes it a great time of year, the most wonderful time of the year. There's a sense of joy in the air. That isn't there on Boxing Day because <laughs> the expectation is gone. It's too far away. That is exactly what our end hope of salvation does to every day leading up to it. Our end hope of salvation, that great day when we meet Jesus face to face and experience the fullness of his glory and grace and richness in our life, fills us with a hope and expectation that makes every day like the most wonderful time of the year, basically. That you get a taste of that joy, you get a taste of that peace, you get a taste of that grace, you get a taste of that love, you realize that he's the Prince of Peace, the wonderful counselor, the Lord of all, the richness of his mercies are new every day. And that is exactly what it's like to be saved, that you get to taste and see that God is good every single day, leading up to that hope and expectation ever increasingly when we win that ultimate goal of eternal salvation with Christ, when we meet him one day. That truly overcomes death truly overcome sin, truly overcome sadness. And that is what salvation is. And so Jeremiah talks about this same thing in closing again, where he says in chapter 14, verse 22, are there any among the false gods, the false idols of the nations that can bring rain? Or can the heavens give showers? Are you not he, O Lord our God? We set our hope on you, for you do all these things. People used to worship rain, clouds, sun, because that's what brought them life. But Jeremiah says, we don't worship those things. We worship you because you made them all. We don't worship our bodies. We don't worship, we don't seek work, money, career, relationships, all these things. Are you, are you not he who made them all God? 
the giver of all of them anyway. We set our hope on you, for you made all these things. When we stand to our feet, lift our hands. We're going to pray right now. We set our hope on the living God and not a shaky foundation, not any other hope other than Jesus Christ. Why don't you close your eyes, you lift your hands, you open your heart to him. And why don't you look into your life and ask yourself those questions. What am I anxious about? What am I looking to and saying, when I get this, it'll be like this. When I overcome this obstacle, when I get that thing, that amount of money, those people in my life, whatever it is, when I, when I get that, it's going to be better. What are those things that you're setting your hope on? Why don't you shift them right now and set your hope on Jesus Christ? He can bring joy into your heart. It could even be a godly pursuit. It could even be a thing he's called you to. But he wants you to experience the fullness of his joy every single day. That hope that is the light of the world, that hope that is better than anything in this world that could ever be offered, that hope which overcomes hopelessness, that hope which is powerful to provide a solid foundation for our faith to build on, that hope which leads us and guides us into our future. It's that hope that is the sure foundation, the sure anchor for our soul. Jesus, Lord, I lift every person up here tonight and then we lift our lives up to you, Jesus, and we thank you that you died on the cross, you gave your life, you poured out your whole life for us so that we may have eternal salvation. I pray, Jesus, right now in, in the, the heart of every single person here that, God, you would fill them with all hope. You would fill them with all hope. That Jesus, you would be our expectation. You would be our hope. That when we wake every single morning, we look up to you in expectation of your goodness in our life. That we look to you for the answers. We look to you for the breakthroughs. We look to you for the things that we need, the good things we need in our life. And that Jesus, we would honor you day after day after day. God, we pray right now for anyone here that is setting their hope on the things that are shaky, things that will disappoint things that will let us down eventually. God, we shift those things right now. Yes. Holy Spirit, help us shift them in our hearts. Help us shift them to be focused on you, God. And I pray as we do that, Jesus, God, that even people that may not have done that before, that God, that joy of salvation would fill their hearts, yes. Lord Jesus. And God, we would walk through life like it is the most wonderful time of the year, like it's Christmas every day, yeah. or Christmas Eve every day, because it's almost better, because it's expectation. <laughs> and God, there'd be a song in our heart, there'd be praise on our lips, there'd be good thoughts in our minds. Now, we would not seek the things of this world that are like dust to you, that we would have the, the riches of your grace and mercy and your love, your hope, your joy, and your, your wisdom, your counsel, your presence in our life, Jesus. 
God, we give you glory. We love you. We love you. We praise you. Pray for a great week ahead. Pray for a great Christmas season. Pray for a great New Year. And God, we ask that you'd speak to every single person here. Speak into their future. Open up doors for them in this coming 12 months. And God, we pray for that we'll be able to praise you again in one, one year's time for all that you've done for us, God. You're a good God. You lead us. You guide us. You lead us well. We thank you so much, Jesus. In your mighty name. Amen.